Any Jinx Trojans in the house? I, 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 try to, I try to be neutral, but my kids go to Broken Arrow, so any Broken Arrow people in the house? Bixby people? Bixby people? All right. Oh, man. Well, hey, we had, a, I was really proud, though, of a couple of our young men, um, Tucker Darnell and A.J. Truman, who played for Broken Arrow High School football, and uh, for A.J., this was his senior year. Uh, what an accomplishment for those young men, though, to just even make it to, to that level. So congratulations, and we just love uh, supporting what's happening in our, our community. If you're brand new to Core Church, I, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to open up the Bible, and, and we're going to read a little bit about it today, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. You're not here because a friend brought you. I want you to know you're here because God brought you. That's why you're here today, because somebody's been praying for you, and you're going to hear a, a lot of different things about Jesus and the hope that we believe and the hope that we have found, and it's our hope that you will find that hope. But I, I just want you to be open-minded and hear what God has to say to you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, we have them, and they're free. We give them away as gifts, and they'll at the end of the service, you can pick one up right here at the front of the auditorium or in the Next Steps room. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, that's in the New Testament. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus. Uh, he was an IRS, uh, worked for the IRS before he got recruited by Jesus. And Jesus saved him from the IRS, from the tax man, amen to that, and made him one of his disciples, and then he wrote a book, uh, an account about Jesus' life. By the way, if you have a mobile device, go to corechurch.com. You can download a Bible app. So if you don't have a Bible on your phone, you can do that. And if you don't have any resource towards a Bible, relax. Uh, here in just a few minutes, we'll be putting some of the scriptures up on the screen. But I want to tell the Christmas story over the next four weeks. I want to encourage you, be here over the next four weeks. We have four different Christmas experiences. And invite people, get them here, and make sure you're here for each one. Because what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be unwrapping the Christmas story in a way that you've never heard of it. I think people have all kinds of opinions of who Jesus is, why he came, what this season is about. Some of those things you may be familiar with, but I bet there's, a, there's several of them you've never thought about before. Like, I didn't know that's why Jesus came. And in Matthew chapter 25, we see the Christmas story. Now, if you're looking at Matthew 25 right now, that don't look anything like the Christmas story. It's because Jesus here, he's older now in life, and he's talking about this kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we're going to be talking over the next few weeks, what in the world did he mean by kingdom of heaven, and why exactly did he come? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, very, very clearly, this is why I came. So let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is Jesus talking. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil, olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and they prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, hey, give us some of your oil because our, our lamps are, are going out. The others replied, we, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and, and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready 
went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time of worship that we have today to be in your house. And you're just so good to us, God. And this season belongs to you. So church, I want to ask you right now, just in this moment, to just humble yourself before him. And just say, God, this season is, is not about me, it's all about you. And in this moment, we ask that you would speak to us. I pray for those around you. You might know them, you might not. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to pray right now. Because we need Jesus to speak in this place today. Not me, but we need him to speak. And we need to hear his voice today. And that happens when God's people begin to pray. So I want you to pray. Pray for those people around you. Pray for your own heart. We all need to hear from God today. And pray for me as your pastor. I want to be faithful to what God is trying to say to all of us today. In Jesus' name. And if you're ready for Christmas, give me a big amen. All right. How many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you have got your Christmas shopping done? Hands up. You got your Christmas shopping done. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. How many of you... Okay, how many of you at least got something? You at least got one gift bought, one. All right, that's better. Look around. That's better. That's better. How many of you, like me, you ain't got jack done? You ain't got nothing done. How many of you wait till Christmas Eve? Be honest, Christmas Eve's in the house. Yeah, give a high five to somebody if they're new you with their hand up. Yeah, those are my people. I'm the worst procrastinator. I I tell myself every year, I'm going to get it done early. We'll get done early, and I wait, and I wait, and then on Christmas Eve, you ever been out, how many of you truthfully have been out shopping on Christmas Eve, honesty in the house of the Lord? Okay, there ain't nothing open, is there? You have two choices, Quick Trip or Walgreens. That's it. Like, got your corn dog, honey. Enjoy that. Is there a diamond in there somewhere? No, there's not. You ever been at Walgreens? It, it, it looks like something out of, a, out of a war zone, like an end of the world movie, because the, the shelves are half bare. You know, I mean, it smells like cheap perfume and procrastination, doesn't it? It's just a nasty little place. And you walk in there, and you're like, well, they ain't getting nothing on this list. You end up buying, like, old Halloween candy, uh, a flashlight keychain and an old Jean-Claude Van Damme DVD. That's kind of what they're Christmas. Oh, you're going to love him. He's got a great accent and his shirt is off half the movie, honey. You're going to love him. It's amazing. Christmas procrastination. But Christmas, let's be honest, Christmas isn't the only time that we procrastinate and put stuff off, is it? I, we, we are great at procrastinating and putting things off that we should do, and we say, well, I'll get to that later. I like a repair on your car. How many of you got something on your car right now, and you know it needs fixed, right? And do you, what do you do? Do you fix it? No, you're like, it's Christmas. I can't afford to fix it. Just turn the radio up so you don't hear it. That's what you do, right? I, I mean, some of us, we, are, are you paying cash right now for all that Christmas stuff? Nah, maybe, maybe, no show of hands. I mean, how many of us are putting it on credit Saying to ourselves, I'm, I'm going to pay that back after the first of the year. But how many of you are still paying on 2007 and 2008? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. Or, or this is the season where you're like, 
I'm going to exercise. I'm going to start eating right in January. I mean, that gym is full. Those of you that work out, you hate January at the gym, don't you? Because that's when they all show up. Sometimes it's more serious than that. Sometimes it's um, time with family. And you, you want to spend time with your family, and this season really kind of reminds us of that, that I need to be, you're always like, I, I need to be spending more time with my family, but, but there's always something that has to get done. I'm, I'm going get, to get to that, and you, and you put that off. Or, or maybe, there's, maybe there's a confrontation you need to have, maybe with a family member or, or somebody at work, and then you're like, I, I'm going to, it's the holidays. I'm going I'm to wait on that. The, the thing, though, that I think that we all understand is, when you put stuff off, when you, when you procrastinate, there's a, at times a pretty heavy price tag to procrastination. Uh, you just think about it. If you're putting something on credit, you, ever, you know, when you put stuff on credit and you think, you think I'm going to pay that off, and then it piles up on you, and then you get a little bit behind, and then you get behind, and then the phone starts ringing, and they start sending you these notices with stamps on them, and they just begin to pile up because you, you put it off, and you can't put it off any longer. We, we know if you don't diet and exercise right, if you don't eat right, you're going you're gonna to pay the price, and maybe your health is really, honestly, long-term. You know, we joke about it, but long-term, your health is, is not going to be all that great when you put stuff off. If you put off your family, put off time with your family, you can end up with a fractured family because it ends up being too late. There's so many things that... We put off, and here in Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 25, he tells us there's one decision that none of us should be putting off. And when you look at this story, you may be going, I have no clue what you're talking about. Well, let's look at it right here. Matthew chapter 25, let's go to verse 1. It says this, then, then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus talking here, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, let's just be honest, even if you've been raised in church and you've been in a small group, or you've done any kind of study at all, this is confusing. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, first of all, Jesus, he would teach in stories. So if you're new to church, he would teach in these parables. This is not a true story. This is just a, a parable, and he's trying to illustrate something here. And what he's talking about is a Jewish wedding. Now, to us, it's confusing, but to the people in that time period, they fully understood everything Jesus was talking about because he was talking about a Jewish wedding and they knew everything that he was talking about and, and, and what it meant. But it, it's confusing to us. But what Jesus was trying to do really is he was saying, okay, this is what a wedding is like. You guys all show up for the wedding because he's talking to a Jewish audience. He's like, you guys all show up for the wedding. You know what that wedding is like? You've been a part of that before. Well, guess what? This is what I'm like. And this is who I am. And, and this is what is getting ready to happen. So let me... Um, let me, let me do this. I think this, this will help us. If, if we just look at just five basic elements of a Jewish wedding, I think this will help us to get a context so you can kind of fully understand what's going on. I'm going to put these on, on the screen so you can see them. Okay, the first one is this. The groom proposes. Okay? The groom shows up, and he's like, I like you a lot. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. That's kind of my Jewish accent. And, and he, he shows up, and he's like, I like you, and you're cute and everything, and, but, but in the Jewish culture, you got to get dad's permission. I mean, oh, come on, who wants to be Jewish now? I do. Um, you, you had to ask dad's permission, and dad had to like that guy, and it was a little more arranged than anything. I think we should go back to that. I think it's biblical. I think it's the way Jesus set it up. Said the man who has a 16-year-old daughter. You ain't got no daughter, you know what I'm talking about, okay? 
So the groom, groom proposes, and, and then what happens is the second thing he does is this is unique. We don't do this. He goes and he prepares a home. Now, this doesn't make sense to us, but he, he goes away to his, his father's land, and he actually builds a home for his bride, okay? He goes there, and he, he builds his bride. Now, now, those of you single ladies, you need to be paying attention to that. You, right now, you're like, we need to be going back to that because the dude I'm dating right now is still living in his mom and dad's spare bedroom, okay? So, no, you don't want that. You want this guy, right? Single ladies, amen? Single ladies, Amen. All right, yeah, I mean, you want that. So he's going back. He leaves, he goes, proposes to the bride. Then he goes and, and goes back to his father's land, and he builds this house, and he begins to prepare it for his bride. Now, here's the next thing that happens. The father has to inspect it. Father has to inspect that home, which, guys, let's be, just be honest. You know, if you're waiting for your wedding night, you're just putting up a pup tent and calling it good. That's just how that's going to roll. But the dad's like, no, son, I need to look at that home. I need to inspect it. I need to make sure it's good. And once the father says it's okay, then the next thing can happen, and that is the groom returns for his bride. Now, the whole time that the groom is gone, the bride and the bridesmaids, they have a lamp, a lamp that looks similar to this right here. And they have a lamp. It's a Jewish lamp. And they would light this lamp, and they would keep it burning the whole time the groom is gone. And it was more of a symbolism that this lady is, is taken, she's called for, and we are waiting and we are anticipating the return of this groom. And this is the funny thing. They didn't know when he was coming back. He could come back in the middle of the night. He could come back in the middle of the day. They didn't know. So they had to keep this lamp burning to say, I'm part of the wedding party and this is the bride. And, and so they, they would have, have that. They would have this lamp. So the groom returns and then there's this big wedding reception. And the cool thing about the wedding reception is the, the reason they had their lamp, too, is the bridesmaids had to have their lamps because that way it identified you as a member of the wedding party. So that, that way they knew whoever's in the wedding party has the lamp. So here's what Jesus is doing right here. Jesus right here is illustrating the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to say to them, I'm, I'm the Messiah, that's who I am. I, I am God's son. That's the first thing that Jesus is doing here. He said, I'm the Messiah. I, I'm, I'm the groom in, in the story. See, these people, they had heard the story about the Messiah coming just like we have. And they'd heard the story for thousands and thousands of years. And all of a sudden, Jesus is on the scene. And here in Matthew chapter 25, he's trying to say to them, I'm him. I'm the groom. I'm, I'm the Messiah. And he, we know that he's going to prepare a heavenly home for those of us who believe, amen? John 14, write that down. John 14, you can read about that. Jesus said, I I'm going away to heaven. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be resurrected again, and then I'm gonna send to heaven, and I'm making a heavenly home for you. I've talked about that over the last few weeks. He's making this heavenly home, and he's preparing it for us, and he is going to be coming again one day. But that all hinges on God the Father. See, only the Father knows only the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. And when the Father says, go get your bride, then Jesus can return for all of us. And that's what's going to happen next. Jesus is going to return for his church. Amen? Come on, if you're a follower of Jesus, amen? amen? That's the hope. Everything hinges on that for us. 
Like just, he says, just like the groom comes back and returns for his bride, I'm coming back for my bride. Throughout the New Testament, we see this. All over the New Testament, the uh, church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And he says, I'm, I'm coming back for my bride. And here's the cool thing. There's going to be a heavenly wedding reception. Those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ will be ushered into this heavenly wedding reception. Heaven and eternal life are coming for all of us. So this is what Jesus is talking about here to his Jewish audience. Now this jacks them up a little bit because when they think about the Messiah coming, they don't think of him that way. What they're thinking about is they're thinking about him coming to set up an earthly kingdom. That's what they thought. The the Messiah is going to return because they had suffered so much oppression They're currently under the oppression of the Romans in this passage of Scripture. They'd had oppression from Assyrians, the Babylonians, and and on and on and on again. And they were anticipating this time when the Messiah would show up and he he would set them free and he would establish this earthly kingdom. But Jesus here, what he's trying to say is, this is... This kingdom of heaven I'm talking about, and I'm trying to illustrate here in this story, is the kingdom of grace. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write that down. The kingdom of heaven is first and foremost a kingdom of grace. Jesus is saying here, I've come to set you free, but not in the way in which you thought. I came to set you free from the bondage of sin. Now, some of you today, you are bound up and you are held captive by sin. Sin has just got you. your, Your past is holding you captive. It's holding you prisoner. As you think about the guilt and the shame of your past, and you think about what you've done and how it's weighed heavy on you and the destruction that you've done in your own personal life and the and the oppression and the destruction you've caused maybe in your family. Maybe you've caused hurt and pain to other people all because of the poor choices and the poor decisions that you've made. And what Jesus is saying today is, I came to set you free from that. I came that your chains would fall off of you, that it would no longer hold you captive. That prison you find yourself in, I came to open it and set you free from it so that you could have life and have it eternally with me. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he said he's doing here. If if you're taking notes, write this down. I'm not measured on a good scale. I'm measured on God's scale. I'm not measured on a good scale. I'm measured on God's scale. See, Jesus tells us in this parable, the most important decision that we can make is the decision to follow him is to put our faith and our trust in him. But for too many of us, we have a misperception of what the kingdom of grace is, what it really means to follow Jesus, what it really means to be called a Christian. We have this idea that it's somehow a good scale. And at the end of this story and this parable, we we hear four of the most frightening words in all of scripture. Jesus says this, I don't know you. I don't know you. And maybe for some of you today, you go, Man, I, no, surely Jesus wouldn't say that. Come on now. I thought you said, Jesus, what about this whole Advent thing? He's peace and, and love and, and joy and... Well, 
you got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I haven't done any horrible things in my lifetime. I mean, surely, surely he won't say that to me. I don't know you. Now, to be honest with you, I mean, when we think about it being a good scale, uh, at first glance, I think, I think I, I'll give you that. I think it looks pretty legit. If you just think about just being a good person, about doing, doing the right things, Let, let's, let's look at it like it's a good scale. Let's say, let's say that the way in which we receive eternal life, the way in which we're going to make it to heaven one day is based on a good scale, how, how good you are. Now, let's say that scale is like a one to 10, and one is the worst, and let's put, let's put ISIS as a one, okay? And then trying to think of somebody who is, who is good, I, I would use Billy Graham. I think in our lifetime, we would all agree, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Billy Graham, pretty good guy. And I, I would put him, I mean, let's, let's make him a nine. So let's say you got ISIS as a one, you got Billy Graham as a nine. Where would you, where would you put yourself on that good scale? Where, where would, would you be, a three? Would you be a five? Would, I mean, just be honest. Just think through that right now. Where, where would you be? What's your number? Now, what's God's number? What if, what if you gave yourself a six, but God's number is a seven? What if you gave yourself a, a four, but God's number is a 5.5? Now, maybe some of you are looking at me, and you're saying, well, what about you, pastor? Where would you put yourself? Depends on the day. Depends on the day. Like, just, I was just thinking about this this morning when I was kind of studying this, and I was thinking about this just this past week. And some of the decisions and some of the ways in which I, I treated some people that I love and I care about, and just my attitude, and, and I was like, on that day this week, I was, a, I was a four. I think I was a four at best. But to be honest with you, there, were, there was at least one or two days this week where I did, did good, like I did some good deeds, I did some really nice things, and I, and I helped out some people, and I, I, I waved at a homeless guy this week. Laugh if you want, but I thought that was pretty good. Everybody else is ignoring him. Nobody's saying hi to him. This guy's got his sign. Everybody's just driving by him. It's like, Christmas, people, come on. I'm like, so I smile and wave. Tried to make that a practice. Buddy Davis taught me that with Abba Center. He said, don't, don't ignore him. Buddy taught me that, so I don't do that. So I did that this week. I felt pretty good about myself. Give myself a seven. Think I'm doing pretty good. Now, can you imagine on Judgment Day, like you're standing in line, you're thinking, how, you know, how good you are, and you just happen to get in line and standing right in front of you is Mother Teresa. You got to be kidding me! Of all the places, you put her in front. You'd be like, "Hey, Uncle Bob, come on up here, buddy. You stand, yo, you get in front of me. No, no, no. I, you get right in. Now, surely, Jesus, Uncle Bob, here, you're gonna." Right? I mean, I'm, I'm going to get in. That's not God's scale. See, that's the scale many times that we use. We use the good scale, but we're not measured on that. We're measured on God's scale. God doesn't measure us according to our good deeds. God doesn't measure us just according to being a good person. Oh, you're a good person. I'm going to let you in. You ever wonder what God's number is? God's number is a 10. You have to be a 10. God's all about holiness. God is holy, and he expects perfection. You have to be a 10 to get into the kingdom. Honestly, for all of us here, that's discouraging. That's, that's, that's frustrating. God is, God's telling me I, I have to be, I have to be a, a 10 
I mean, based, based on that, none of us are getting in. I'm not getting in, you're not getting in. Turn to the person next to you and say, you ain't getting in based on that. But let me give you some good news. Let me give you some good news. God's deepest desire is to say, I know you. His deepest desire is to say, I know you, I know you. And I know you, I know you on the back row. I know you, I know you, I know you. I mean, think about that. We're all standing there on judgment day before almighty God. And he's standing up there and he's wearing a sweet leather jacket and some kicking converse, okay? <laughs> and imagine though, he looks out over the crowd and he says, I know you. Is that not, that would just be the most awesome, the whole crowd, and he points to the back and says, I know you. That's a pretty awesome day. That's a good place for God's people to say, amen. Woo! God's desire is to know you. He wants to know you. So how, how can you know him? How can we possibly measure up? Let's go to, go to verse 2. Verse 2, Jesus says, five of them, these are the bridesmaids, were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. And some translations say they didn't take any oil at all. The other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense to us at all. What's, what's, what is Jesus talking about here? You've got a lamp. You've got, you got this, this oil. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not tracking Okay, here's what he's saying. All, all 10 of the bridesmaids, they, they had a lamp, but not all of them had oil. All 10 of them were associated with the wedding party. For many of us, we have a lamp. We have a lamp, and we call ourselves Christians based off the lamp. Well, I got a lamp. For some of you, your lamp is what you're doing today. I go to church. I mean, I went to church at Christmas. I, I mean, it's important. It's really, really important. I went, and then I was in the house of God. So surely, God, you're, I got my lamp. You're looking at me, right? I'm in your house, and you're going to let me in, right? Because I, I came to church. Some of you are maybe better than just, you just, you don't come just Christmas. You, you come a couple times, and maybe some of you, you come every Sunday. God, I'm here every week. I'm here every week. I, I've got my lamp. Some of you, your lamp is a Bible. When I talk about, do you have a Bible, you're like, well, I got one. I got one. Might be my grandma's Bible, but I, but I got one in my house somewhere. <laughs> I know it's somewhere. It might have Gideon's written on it, but I got one. I've got one. I've got, I got my lamp. I mean, I have a Bible that associates me. I'm associated with being a Christian, right, because I have a Bible. I don't have one of those other ones that somebody else carries. I, I have that, and that associates me with that. Maybe for some of you, it's just being good. I'm a good person. I mean, I just, I, Brad, honestly, I don't do bad things, and I'm, that might be your story. I'm just not a bad person. I help people, and maybe, maybe today, you, maybe you put something in the giving thanks offering. Maybe you did that online. Maybe you've given throughout the year. I mean, God, I mean, I gave. I, I, I gave to your house. I mean, you stand on judgment day. Surely God's going to look at the money I, I gave and see that I'm associated with him and he'll, he'll let me in. Maybe I, you gave something to the Salvation Army person and you say, oh, I, surely, surely I did those things and that's, that's what's going to get me in, right? 
Jesus here is saying that a lot of us have lamps and, and, and we're good people. But the thing you need to understand, what Jesus is trying to illustrate is having a lamp alone doesn't make you a Christian. Having a lamp alone and being associated with Christianity doesn't give you a, a free ticket to heaven. I want, I want to help you with that today because this thing you may be saying is, like, well, if, if that won't let me in, then, then how do I get in? I, I think you got to go back to the Jewish wedding. I think this would help us a little bit if we understood a little bit about the Jewish culture and the Jewish wedding. When, when they had the wedding that night, if the bride was found to not be a virgin, if she was found on her wedding night to not be pure, the groom could, uh, was not held or bound to that covenant. He could say, no, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to marry her. In, in the same way, we just talked about this just a moment ago, God's measure is what number? What number? Ten. God's number is ten. God's number is, is perfection. God's number is holiness, that we have to be holy and pure before him. And, and for many of you, if not most of us, we, we think of our, and we associate ourselves with that unpure bride. So I guess I'm not getting in. I mean, there's no way God's going to accept me, not based off of what, what I've done, not based off of who I am. Here's some good news. I'd like for you to write this down if you're taking notes. This is the good news for you today. Let's get to some good news. Salvation's not dependent on what I do, but on what Jesus has already done. Salvation is not dependent on what I do, but what Jesus has already done. 1 Peter 1.19, we won't put it up on the screen, but I want you to uh, write that down. 1 Peter 1.19 tells us that Jesus was the pure, spotless lamb. He was pure. You're not pure, I'm not pure, I'm not holy, you're not holy, but Jesus was the holy one of God. He was the pure, spotless lamb of God, the son of God brought to this earth, born into a manger, lived the perfect life, the only person to ever do that, then went to a cross for you and I, and at the cross, his blood sealed the covenant for us. It's what Jesus did. In other words, Jesus, it's his blood that fills our lamps. His blood is the oil that fills our lamps and gives us light and gives us light. Amen? I mean, that's the good news that we're preaching today. That's, that's the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of grace is this. I don't measure up. My lamp is empty. I mean, I got some good things. I'm doing some nice things, but my lamp is empty. I don't measure up. I'm out. I'm on the outside looking in. But Jesus is saying, hang on a second. That's why I went to the cross. My blood was shed to fill your life with me to wash away your sin, your shame, and your guilt, and to give you a new life in me. Now, here's some really good news. The kingdom of heaven that we're talking about, this kingdom of grace, it's not just for a day and a life to come. It's for this day. It's for today. Look at verse 5. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. All ten went to sleep. But only five went to sleep with oil in their lamps. This is the difference between restful sleep and restless sleep. Restful sleep and, and restless sleep. I, I'm, a, I'm a loud sleeper. Anybody else loud when you sleep? I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm not talking snoring. 
I'm talking, I'm a mover, I'm a shaker, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I, I mean, I'm a moaner, I'm a groaner. I mean, I just, you name it, I, it's happening. I, I call it interactive dreaming. That's what I call it. Because I think it's fun to be in motion when you're dreaming. I think it's fun to express yourself when you're dreaming. My wife, Laura, thinks otherwise. She thought it was cute 31 years ago when we got married. I used to sleep and talk in my sleep and motion and do different things, and she would lean over and try to figure out what I'm talking about. Bad idea, by the way. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend that, but she's trying to figure out what I'm talking about. Now, she's just like, oh, you will knock it off. Because I, I mean, just like, serious, just last night, just last night, this, this just went down last night. I, I'm, I'm dreaming that I'm, I'm out in this field and, and way across this field, like way across our land, there's some people I know and they're waving at me. And they're like, hey, Brad, what's going on? So being the kind person I am, I yell back at him, hey, how's it going? That's what it sounded like in my dream. <laughs> Evidently, it was more like this, like something out of the exorcist, I guess. I wake up, there's a priest at the end of the bed. We're not even Catholic, but evidently, Laura's converted over. She's like, I've had enough. Restless. I mean, I am a restless sleep, drives her crazy. Maybe some of you are restless in life. Like, you don't have any peace, you don't have any joy, there's no hope, and there's no, there's no love. When you go home and you lay your head on the pillow, there's no rest. It's restless for you. You're overwhelmed by life. You lay there, you try to put on a good face, but you are overwhelmed by your past. The guilt and the shame and the mistakes and the struggles that you've had overwhelm you as you're on that pillow. But here's the good news about Advent, as we've been talking about today. This is the good news about Advent. Advent is a great symbol of this is why Jesus came. This is what it's all about. The reason we did this today is because how important this is. It's about hope. Is it not about hope? It's about hope. How many of you could use some hope? The great news about Jesus is he provides hope. You, you ain't got no hope for your situation right now, but he has the hope that can help you to overcome whatever it is you're dealing with. That oil for the lamp, that olive oil, it comes from the olive tree. The cool thing about an olive tree, an olive tree can withstand fire. It can withstand disease. It can withstand storms. They stand for centuries and centuries. That is who Jesus is, hope hope for you love how many of you could use some unconditional love of the father thinking about your past thinking about your guilt thinking about your shame nobody's gonna love me if they knew this they knew this about me and what my struggle was or what I used to struggle with this is the mesmerizing picture and story of the kingdom of grace unconditional love of the father he loves you Listen, maybe for you today, you just need to hear that. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Let me just speak that over you. The Father loves you. He loves you. Joy. This season for so many people is so painful. So much hurt. So many disappointments. You lost people you loved. 
broken relationships? Where is the joy? This is the, this, I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain this except Jesus came and when he invades your life, there's this joy that is deep embedded within you despite what's going on around me, despite life circumstances, I can have joy. I can have joy because God is with me. Peace? Man, Jesus brings peace in the midst of the storm. Luke chapter 2 tells us it's a pathway of peace. The storm is raging all around you. The difficulties and the struggles of life, you're overwhelmed. And he brings peace in the midst of that for you. That, that's who Jesus is trying to express to us who he is in this story. And one of the biggest mistakes I think we make is in saying, there, well, there's, there's more time. I just do that tomorrow. You know, I, I'll, uh, let, me, let me think about it. Let me just, you know, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me just think about it. And, and Jesus is trying to say to you in this story, don't wait. Don't wait. Why, let me ask you this. Why would you wait? You know why you wait? Because you think that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of grace is a get out of hell free card. So there's plenty of time to do that. But you're missing it. He wants to bring you peace today. Joy today. Love today. Hope today. He says the kingdom of heaven is now. You can start to enjoy it now in your life. Why would you put that off? like for you to bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, for your word, so grateful. For the hope that you bring us, so grateful. In this moment, God, would you just search our hearts? So where are you at? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here today, but you got to reconnect with Jesus today because you don't have any hope. Maybe you don't have any peace. You don't feel loved. There's no joy. If you're a follower of Jesus and you just would be bold enough to say, I need some of that, I want you to slip up your hand so I know how to pray for you today. Anybody today say, I just need some of that. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I need hope. Thank you. Gotcha. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. In the back, in the front, on the sides. God, bring peace, bring hope, joy, love to your people. These are people who confess you as Lord and Savior. Bring them that today, God. They sense you and know that you're with them you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Or maybe you walked away from God and you haven't followed him for a long time, but you know today's the day to come back. The kingdom he came to set up, the kingdom of grace was to set you free from that sin, that shame, and that bond. Do not carry it another day. Lay it down right now. If you're not a follower of Jesus or you want to come back to him, this is your prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I mean, I, I, I don't even, I can't even think, God, of the things that I've done. I carry so much shame, and so much hurt, and so much pain. I know, God, that I, what I've done is wrong, and I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection, and I'm asking you today to make me new. Fill my lamp, God, today. I'm tired of works. I'm tired of trying to be good enough. And I've learned today I can't be good enough. So I'm putting my faith and my hope in you today.
every head bowed. If you made that your prayer today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I, I, I just want to know who you are so I know how to pray for you and we can celebrate with you. Would you raise your hand if you made a commitment to follow Jesus or you're coming back to him? In the back, I see you across the back, over here on the side, right here in the front, over here on the other side, hands in the middle. Thank you, God, for people who are coming home to you. Thank you, God, for bringing your peace. Overwhelm these people, to those who are coming back to you. And God, those who are placing their faith in you for the very first time, overwhelm them now. Fill them with your spirit. May they know your presence in their life. May they know their sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give God a hand clap for transformation and new life. Amen. Woo!